The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. All right, if you have your Bible or your Bible phone app, I want to invite you to open up to Exodus chapter 1. This morning we are, begin- we are beginning, we are continuing our series um, that we just started last week in the book of Exodus. I am very excited to be um, preaching this passage here. Before, um, before I pray and before Mindy reads, um, I did just... Uh, want to take a moment to capitalize on this opportunity as uh, this is the last sermon that I will be preaching at Grace Church before I transition um, before I transition out of here. And so I just wanted to, um, well, do this because I'm, I'm up here and no one can stop me. But uh, I do... <laughs> I do just want to say thank you um, to all of you, especially those faithful friends who've been here uh, over the last decade for, um, for being a church that prizes the preaching of the gospel and for being a church that is patient with a young man learning how to preach the gospel. I was uh, sitting out at the computer yesterday just thinking about my first sermon I preached, and it was actually 10 years ago, last week, January 6th, 2013, you folks gave me the first opportunity to preach a sermon to you. Um, the amazing thing was you enabled me to come back a second time. And, um, and I just, just want to just thank you for your patience with me. Tab, I want to thank you for your faithful preaching of the gospel and your faithful input in helping me grow. So thank you, brother. All right. Well, on that note, Let's pray, and then we'll hear what God has to say to us this morning. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, we, Lord, we thank you that no matter who is standing up here behind this pulpit, you are the one who wants to speak to us this morning. By your spirit, you desire to minister to our hearts through the reading and the preaching of your word. And so we ask that you would do so. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, Lord, what? what you have to, to say to us this morning. Lord, your word does so many things. Lord, I pray that it would encourage the faint-hearted this morning. Lord, we pray that your word would help the weak this morning. Lord, where needed, I pray that your word would admonish, would correct the unruly. Oh, Spirit, have your way among us through your word this morning. Amen. The word of the Lord from Exodus 1, 8 through 21. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. 
but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Mindy. Well, Charles Dickens famously begins his tale of two cities with the line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Well, beginning here in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, it seems like Israel's story goes from being the best of times to being the worst of times. Verse 8, right, right kicking it off here, verse 8 tells us, why things change for Israel. Beginning in verse eight, we read, now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. We're not told who this new king is, this new Pharaoh, but we're told one thing. He does not know Joseph. Joseph had died long ago so it wasn't meaning that he literally didn't know Joseph. Certainly kings and pharaohs for many, many decades had not known Joseph. But here, as the writer of Exodus says, this new king did not know Joseph. He's signaling a change in Israel's status. Whereas the previous pharaohs, the previous kings knew what Joseph did to save not just the Israelites during the famine, but knowing what Joseph did to make Israel a great nation during the time of the famine. All the previous kings knew that, they recognized that, and they looked favorably upon the Israelites because of Joseph's faithfulness, because of what he had done. But here, now things have changed. This new Pharaoh doesn't care about the things that Joseph has done. And can you just imagine the whiplash that this phrase would have, would have made the people feel this new king who did not know Joseph. They were once the favored and the adored people in the land. They, they were adored by those in positions of power. And now this nation finds themselves as outsiders. Beginning in verse 9, we find out why everything has changed for Israel. We read, And he, the Pharaoh, said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Turns out that this new Pharaoh is scared. He looks out on the Israelites and he doesn't see a people who have blessed the nation of, Israel, the nation of Egypt. He looks out and he sees a, a group of people who could potentially undo the great nation of Egypt. He looks out on the people, the Israelites, and he only sees a threat. He sees the large number of Israelites and he is concerned that if a country were to come and fight against Egypt, the Israelites would join that country and would be Egypt's undoing. Or maybe at one point being such a large nation, they would simply decide to leave Egypt, leaving many of the workers in Egypt 
um, without leaving many people without their workers in Egypt. And so this Pharaoh, afraid of losing his power, beginning in verse 11, we see how far he's willing to go to hold on to this power. So he tells the people, and we read in verse 11, therefore, they set taskmasters over them, over the Israelites, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Here we see Pharaoh's plan A. Here's his plan to, to oppress the Israelites in the hope that this, will, that this will destroy or that this will break their wills. This hope that this, this plan of harsh labor would at some point cause the Israelites to not want to keep having children that would come and continue to grow. He hoped that this harsh labor that they would be under would just crush their souls, that it would make them not want to continue going on. And so now the Israelites who were suddenly on the inside, those who were favored and adored, they find themselves on the outside forced into hard labor. I mean, can you just imagine the roller coaster of emotions that these Israelites would have, would have been going through? This, over the course of this generation, they, they're born into a, into a nation that is glad they are there, that is happy for, for the work that their ancestors had done. They were favored and looked favored upon. And then here, just like that, seemingly overnight, they find themselves on the outsider, on the outside. Neighbors who were once good friends no longer talk to you. You were ghosted at large scale by those who, who made up your community. Think of other kids telling your kids that they're no longer allowed to, to play with you because you're from Israel. No longer able to enjoy their vocations as they are thrown into slave labor. Everything about their lives changes. You can just Imagine the, the anger that these Israelites felt. Perhaps the sadness, the confusion of their, their whole world being, being tossed upside down. Everything they, they knew, everything that brought them safely, that brought them a sense of, of safety is taken from them as they are made outsiders, as they are forced into harsh labor. Well, to Pharaoh's surprise, probably better to say Pharaoh's disbelief this plan does not work. Rather than exa exhausting their bodies, other than, than crushing their spirits, we see that this oppression that Israel is put under, the people of Israel is put under, it doesn't cause them to shrink in size. They actually grow all the more. In verse 11, we read, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And this doesn't make Pharaoh or the Egyptians happy at all. At the end of verse 11, we're told that the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Their fear grows and grows as they see this people that they are trying to oppress, this people they are trying to control. They only grow in number. They grow in, in size. They're expanding into the land and the people are in dread. And so they double down on their plan. In verses 13 and 14, as we read these verses, you were meant to just get a sense at the, at the weight of the work, the weight of the burden that the Egyptians were placing on the Israelites. It's just, as we read beginning in verse 13, we read that the people, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. 
And as they go on explaining the bitter work that they were forcing them to do, and again, at the very end of verse 14, we read that same phrase, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And here we see this cycle of oppression and blessing happening for the Egyptians and the Israelites. As as the Egyptians oppress Israel, Israel is blessed and they continue to multiply. And so they oppress them all the more, and yet they continue to grow and they continue to multiply. As they're oppressed, they lead to more and more blessing for the people of Israel. And at one point, it becomes clear to Pharaoh that this this plan of hard labor just isn't working. They're going to have to do more to control the Israelites. Um, But every time... they need to do more to, they need to do more to uh, control the Israelites because every time they oppress them, they just keep growing. And so they, they need to come up with a new plan. So you can imagine Pharaoh gathering all of his advisors together, perhaps creating a, a tiger team. He wants to, to settle this problem once and for all, the problem of the Israelites. And so perhaps late into a, a, an all-night brainstorming session trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do to control these Israelites, someone throws out the idea, hey, let's have all the Hebrew midwives kill all of the baby boys. Perhaps after thinking through this, perhaps after talking through some of the details, this plan here, this evil plan to murder all of the baby boys gets the thumbs up from Pharaoh And starting in verse 15, we see the beginnings of this plan being rolled out. In verse 15, we read, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. Now, these weren't the only two Hebrew midwives serving all of Israel, but these these were probably the the head midwives, as it were, the, the top two midwives that oversaw all of the other midwives that helped the Israelite women giving birth. And so he calls them into to his palace here. And you can only imagine what's going through their minds as they are told, hey, Pharaoh wants to talk to you. Pharaoh wants to see you. You are simply two ordinary women going about your ordinary job. And here, the strongest person in the land, perhaps the strongest person in the world, at the time is calling you. He wants to see you. And so he he calls them before him and he tells them, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. I wonder what expressions would have come across their faces as they heard Pharaoh, for perhaps with a, with a smile or a grin on his own face, impressed with the genius of his own plan, tells them, you must murder all the baby boys that are born. I mean, the evil of this plan is clear, but they can't, standing before Pharaoh, they can't break their faces and let him see that they know this plan is, this plan is evil. You wonder here, why, why, does he want to, why does he want to kill the baby boys? Why does he want to let the baby girls live only killing the baby boys? Well, we don't know for sure, but it seems that this plan to, to kill the newborn baby boys would, would preserve all of his workforce of these men that he had for him, building up these great store cities so he could control the people they had, but he wouldn't have to worry about a future generation coming who would, who would then be able to take part in any sort of attacks 
against him or who'd be able to, to want to flee the land so he could control the men that were there while ensuring that no future ones came. So here he tells them this evil plan. And, and after Pharaoh dismisses them from his presence, uh, Sifra and Puah, I wonder what, wonder what they said to one another. Can you imagine what that conversation would have been walking through the palace, being told that every baby that's born, if it is the son, they are to kill him. And here they know they've come to the biggest moment of their lives. They were facing the toughest decision that they would perhaps ever face as they come face to face with the decision of whether they would obey Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, or would they obey God? Would they risk their own lives to do what's right, to save those innocent babies? It was certainly a thought that crossed their minds that if Pharaoh was willing to do this to all the sons that were born, what would he do to them if they disobeyed? Who knows how many sleepless nights they had? Who knows how many other people they, they talked to perhaps to find out what, what would you do in this situation? think for you, place yourself in that situation. What would you do? Certainly doesn't seem like an easy decision on the face of it where you are faced with losing your own life perhaps or leading to the death of, of innocent babies. Well, we don't have any of those details at all, but we are told in verse 17 what they did. We read here, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but, he let, but they let the male children live. Their decision was made. They would, they would not go along with this evil plan. They would safely deliver these baby boys just as they had been doing for who knows how long. Well, we don't know how long, but for sure the rumors begin to reach Pharaoh. Rumors that so-and-so had a baby boy, perhaps even Pharaoh walking through his palace, hears the Hebrew women talking about the birth of their new nephew, perhaps, or talking about what their little boy did at home the night before. And at first he can't believe it, it must be a mistake. But then when it becomes clear that the Israelite boys are not being killed as he is commanded, he is filled with rage, you can imagine. He is filled with anger. And in verse 18, we read that the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. They knew this moment would eventually come. And when it does, they rehearse their story that they, just as they had planned it. In verse 19, standing before Pharaoh, we read that the midwives said to Pharaoh, because, why, why were they allowing these boys to be born? Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them their story. The, the, the Hebrew women are giving birth before we can come in. It's, it's happening. And here, even in their story, they're able to, to get a jab in at the Egyptian women saying, the Hebrew women aren't weak like the, like the Egyptian women are. They don't take forever to do this. They just give birth right away and we're not there to stop it. Well, hearing this, Pharaoh sends the women out in anger and presumably goes back to the drawing board to figure out what to do with these Israelites who just keep growing and multiplying. Can you imagine the relief 
that Shifra and Pua must have felt as they walked away from Pharaoh's presence, heads still attached to their bodies. I mean, what would they have said to each other as right after their hearts stopped racing when they were, would finally be able to, to get a word out? Well, the curtain on our story doesn't drop just yet because before the scene transitions to what comes next, before we figure out what Pharaoh's plan B is, we read what happens to Sifra and Pua. In verse 20, we read that God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Most likely, Sifra and Pua had been barren up to this point. It would not have been uncommon for these midwives to be those who were without their own children themselves. That would be the, the barren ones who would serve as the midwives. And so at this point in their lives, they had been barren, perhaps no children. And now God, in, in reward for their faithfulness, in reward for them fearing him over Pharaoh, he gives them families. Perhaps he, he gives them what they had always dreamed of in having this house, this family of their own. And as the, the scene closes, the people of Israel continue to be blessed. That's, that's the story here that God wants us to see the story of fearing, our, of fearing God who remains faithful to his promises here. This is the story that God has given us of Sifra and Pua. And as we, we consider, as we transition here from looking at this story, we need to ask ourselves, so what? Why, why did God seem fit to give us this story? As we think about all of the great stories in the Bible, as we think about all of the great stories that are about to come, starting with the birth of Moses and onward, we, we, you might be scratching your head going, why, why did God give us this seemingly minor story here? And certainly there are, are many things going on in this story, many, many things that we could take away. But as we look at this story here, it seems that the primary thing that God wanted the nation of Israel then, and that God wants you and me today to see, is that fearing God positions us to experience the faithfulness of God even in the most trying circumstances. Let me say that again here. I think this story is here in our Bibles to show us that fearing God positions us to experience the faithfulness of God, even in the most trying or difficult circumstances. This was certainly a message that the Israelites, the original readers of Exodus, needed to hear. They were hearing this word, this word coming to them from Moses, this Exodus being written out. They, they would have been receiving this story as they camped on the doorstep to the land of promise. As they prepared to enter the land after 40 years of wandering, and as they prepared to do so, God wanted this story, this story of the Hebrew midwives, to be at the center of the story that they told themselves about themselves. 
Because the reality was that as they made their way into the land of promise, they were going to face many situations where they needed to be able to look back and remember this story, where they were gonna need to be able to look back and to remember that fearing God enables us to experience the faithfulness of God. That was a message that Israel was going to know and have resonate deep in their bones. Well, to, to help us better understand, help us feel the weight of this story, I want to un- uh, unpack those, those two main ideas of fearing God and experiencing the faithfulness of God in our time, in our remaining time here. As I, as I tried to, to convey in the retelling of the story, Sifra and Pua's decision to fear God is the, is the climax of this story. Everything in this narrative, beginning with the, with the Pharaoh who didn't know Jacob, with the harsh labor, everything is building up to this moment where we're all meant to be on the edge of our seats and we're all meant to wonder, what in the world are these two Hebrew midwives going to do? I think if we, if we read this and we assume that their decision was an easy one, I think we're, we're reading it wrong. I think we're, we're missing the point. This, this decision to risk their own lives to save the, the boys that were born was, would not have been an easy one for these Hebrew midwives to make. It was, was perhaps the hardest moment of their lives because to disobey Pharaoh meant that, meant, um, would have meant their own death. They, they know what kind of man he is. He's the same man who's put them and all their relatives under harsh labor, and he would not think twice about killing them. And faced with this challenging situation, we know what they decide to do. They fear God. As we see in verse 17, we read, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. This is repeated for us the second time in verse 21 as, as God wants us to see clearly how important and central this idea of fearing God is. In verse 20, we read that because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. You see, faced with the decision of fearing God or fearing Pharaoh, they chose the former. They fear God and obey him rather than obeying the evil command of Pharaoh. And because of their obedience, they experience the blessing. They experience the faithfulness of God. And we're going to see more of that in a moment. But before, I just want to just re-high or just highlight what this would have meant for Israel and for us as we think about this idea of fearing God. As I mentioned here, Israel, they were standing on the plains of Moab, getting ready to enter the land of promise, a land that was not only filled with milk and honey, but a land that was filled with nations stronger and mightier than they were. As they prepared to enter this land that would have been filled with challenge after challenge, difficulty after difficulty, they needed this story. They needed to see this wonderful real-life example of what fearing God, even in the most difficult circumstances, looked like. Because if they were going to enter the land, they would need to follow the example of Shifra and Pua, and they were going to need to fear God. Because they were going to be faced with multiple situations where the cost of obeying God were high, and where death and discomfort would be very real realities 
for these Israelites. And as they faced these situations where life was difficulty, where circumstances were trying, God wanted and gave them this story to encourage their hearts and to reinforce their commitment to trust in him and willingly submit their lives to him, even if it meant possible death. Because fearing God, because trusting him, submitting your life to him is always the right decision. And just like the Israelites, you and I stand similarly situated. Like the Israelites receiving this story, they've been saved out of Egypt. You and I have been saved from our sin. But just as Israel was wandering in the wilderness, not yet in the land, you and I know that we are here wandering in this fallen world, waiting for Jesus to return to establish his kingdom here on this earth. And just like the nation of Israel, you and I, face many situations day in, day out, where we are faced with a similar choice to Shifra and Pua. Are we going to fear God? Are we going to fear man? Are we going to fear God? Or are we going to fear man? Now, certainly our situation is a bit different from the Israelites in Egypt and in the wilderness. You and I are not facing death. You and I are not facing oppression from the hands of the government. But that doesn't mean there aren't real cultural pressures that we face. At school, in the workplace, social media worlds that we inhabit, there is certainly no lack of pressure to conform to this world, I think particularly in the areas of sexuality and gender. And the costs are high. The costs of fearing God are high. We could lose friends or popularity perhaps no longer getting invites to social gatherings like you used to. In the workplace, you could lose your job. You could lose promotional opportunities. Perhaps you could lose your influence. And certainly many other things can come, many other costs to fearing God. And like Shifra and Pua, you and I are going to have to choose, are we going to fear God or are we going to fear man? Are we going to choose to obey and to submit to what God has revealed to us about himself, about what leads to human flourishing? Are we going to choose to disregard what God's word says and just follow the ways of the world? This, this temptation to, to fear man in particular is, is a strong one, one that I'm just very aware of in my own life. And, and I am helped by a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He wisely pointed out that when we won't fear God, we don't become fearless, he says. But when we won't fear God, he says we fear everything. And I would add, when we don't fear God, we fear everyone. I mean, just think this was true for Pharaoh, right? He did not fear God, and so therefore everything around him he feared. He feared the nation of Israel. He was fearful of losing his power because he didn't fear God. And as we read this story, the calling for you and for me, sisters and brothers, is to fear God as we look at the situations around us that where we are faced with this decision, are we going to fear God or fear man? There's this passage, God is calling us to choose to fear him, to, to follow the example of Shifra and Pua, and to, to lay down our own desires, to lay down what we think is the right thing, and to submit to God's word and to follow him. And as we transition here from this first point, we see that God wants us to fear him 
Because as we see in the lives of Shifra and Pua, it's when we fear him that we are positioning ourselves to experience his faithfulness. I mean, we see this very clearly in the, lives, in the examples of Shifra and Pua. They fear God and they experience God's faithfulness. We see this very clearly in how they are honored in this story. These two Hebrew women are named for us. They are memorialized in our Bibles for all time. As every Hebrew boy and girl would have grown up hearing scripture, memorizing most of the first five books of the Bible, these names would have been on their lips. These would have been names that were etched in their memories of these two women who stood up to Pharaoh and who obeyed him and experienced blessing, experienced the faithfulness of God. These names here are still with us down to today. I mean, you can just imagine the little girls running around the playground fighting over who got to be Shifra and who got to be Pua that day. It's like, you got to be Pua yesterday. I get to be here today. I mean, that's, that's, that's how, how honored these women would have been in this story being named. And, and this is huge for a number of reasons, not only because in an ancient Near Eastern culture, one that was certainly patriarchal, one that minimized the roles of the roles and the ability of women, the fact that they are named here would have been would have been extra honoring it would have been much more significant than listing any male's name the fact that these female names were being listed we see it even heightened all the more where pharaoh says hey kill the sons but if it's a daughter they can live if it's a daughter we don't we don't need to worry about the women here we i'm worried about the children so so pharaoh himself didn't even think of the women being something that could have been dangerous to him something that could have usurped his kingdom but as we see here, and as you see very clearly in the birth of Moses, that woman after woman after woman usurps Moses. Even women in his own household usurp this plan of Pharaoh. So it was huge for that reason, just the mere fact that they are women being named. But it's much more significant as well as we considered who's not named in this story. As you read through this story, you'll notice that the Pharaoh is never named. Pharaoh here in this context, it's a, it's a title. It's not a personal name. It would have been like him just writing the president, the president, the president, without naming which president it was. And so now here we are 2,000 plus years later, we read this account and we have no clue who this Pharaoh is, but we know who Shifra and Pua are. As these women, as these women feared God, they are honored. They are, they are blessed. Their names are memorialized for us. And as we see in verse 21, because of their faithfulness, because they fear God, he gave them families. Seems like from verse 21, we can conclude that they did not have families before, but here as a reward for them faithfully fearing God, he rewards them for their faithfulness. He opens their wombs as they are given families and they are blessed for their obedience. Now, it seems here that this raises the inevitable question as we think about Shifra and Pua and the, and the line that they give to Pharaoh, where he says that, that these women, they, they give birth before we can come in. And certainly, um, at best, it seems like that line is a half-truth. Um, clearly, the, the Shifra and Pua, their, their intention here is to deceive Pharaoh. They are certainly lying to a degree. And as we look at this story, we're faced with this question of, 
Why is God honoring these women for lying, right? Isn't lying a sin? Isn't that something we're not told to do or we're told not to do? Well, I think just a a couple brief remarks here. First, as we read this story, there's certainly not a wholesale endorsement of lying in this passage. I think teenagers particularly, this is not a story you want to point to with your parents and say they lied and things worked out great. So you don't want to do that. I think as we look at this story, we see, we see the extreme situation that is going on here. This is a, an extreme situation that we're not meant to, to draw a firm conclusion from. Pharaoh here was talking about the wholesale killing of hundreds, possibly thousands of children. And faced with this evil situation, it seems like it was okay for them to lie or at least tell this half-truth to protect innocent lives. I mean, there's story after story. We can easily think about people saving Jews during the Holocaust, people deceiving their right, their governments to protect these lives. And I think we want to be a bit patient before we condemn any sort of lying or deceitfulness that was going on to save, um, to save lives. Now, I don't want you hearing me saying some utilitarian thing either. I'm not saying the ends justify the means. I don't think that's what this passage is saying either. I think when we look at this story, I think for us, it's helpful to realize that life is messy. I think the Bible captures the reality that life is messy. And there's not always a black and white, one size fits all answer to our questions. I think as we read this story here, we see that the same God who commands us to not bear false witness in the Ten Commandments, he also rewards these women for lying to preserve the lives of innocent people. So this passage here, it's not a wholesale endorsement, but it does just speak to the the messy realities of life in a fallen world where evil is real. And so Shifra and Pua, they fear God and they experience, they are positioned to experience the faithfulness of God. And we see that it's more than just Shifra and Pua as well, because it's the nation as a whole experiences the faithfulness of God. We see in verse 12 and verse 20, Moses writing here and repeating that faced with the oppression of Pharaoh, the people continue to grow. In verse 12, we read, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. Again, in verse 20, we read, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. No matter what was throwing at them in this passage here, we see God faithfully keeping his plans and his promises to his people. We see no matter what is going on in life here as we read this story in Exodus 1, we're meant to to take away, to feel deeply the reality that God fulfills his plans and his promises. The most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the world cannot thwart God's plans. He is there. I just love in Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage in verse 12 and verse 20, he says, children everywhere, where he talks about the people multiplying and spreading abroad. He's just saying there are children everywhere. God is blessing these people because he is a faithful God. And so for the Israelites, as they prepared to enter this land, to enter this land filled with nations that would be mightier and stronger than them, filled this land where they would no doubt experience fear and worry about what would happen to them as they entered the land. God gives them this story to comfort, to encourage their hearts, to remind them that God is faithful, to remind them that he fulfills his plans and his promises for them. 
knowing that and encouraging them to continue to fear him. That when everything around them seems like it is caused to worry, when everything around them seems like it is pointing to God is not going to be faithful here, God is not going to be able to overcome any of this, they can look back to this story and they can see God faithfully fulfilling his promises and his plans. Brothers and sisters, I think you and I need to hear that same story today. You and I need to be reminded that the God we serve is the God who is faithful to fulfill his plans and his promises. When you just think about life right now, where, where, is, where um, in your life right now are you tempted to ask or are you asking yourself, where is God when things keep getting worse? Where is God when things go from bad to worse? Certainly the Israelites would have been asking themselves this question. And as they faced this, God wanted to remind and encourage their hearts and our hearts today that he is there, that he is present, and that he is fulfilling his plans and his promises to his people. Even when it seems like he's absent, even when it seems like he is nowhere to be found, he is there and he is up to something good for you and for me. So as we read Exodus 1, I think the, the, the encouragement and the call to you and to me is to look back and to see God's past faithfulness as proof to encourage our hearts that he will continue to be faithful. I was, uh, God is so kind to know when we need to receive these little messages. This last week, um, as Donna and I have just been preparing to, to move halfway across the country as we have been dealing with a lot of stresses about the details of moving and one major one in particular, where are we going to move when we get there? Where are we going to live when we get there? It has been a very difficult and discouraging week on the housing search front. And I've just found myself too many times than I care to admit, really grumbling and complaining and really questioning God's faithfulness to us as we make this transition, just wondering like, God, if you want us there, why is this so difficult? Why are things not working out? Why is house after house after house falling through or details changing or it's not available and it said it was available? And I was just so grateful for God's kindness to me, not only to be in this passage to see this very real, clear example of God's faithfulness to his people, but also to experience the faithfulness of God's people this week as uh, at our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, just had a conversation with Jossie and was sung as they were just helping me to remember God's faithfulness, not only in their lives in the past, but also pointing out God's faithfulness in my life in the recent past that I had been very quick to forget and to look over. And it was just such a, a benefit to my heart to be reminded of God's faithfulness in my own life, even over the last two months in, um, in just allowing things to come into play for with our kiddos' schooling and just to see how faithful God was in lining those things up and just being able to rest and say, if God was faithful to take care of those details, God is going to be faithful enough to figure out a house for us to move into when we move out there. And that's, that's what Exodus 1 is meant to function like for the Israelites and for you and for me this morning as we look back at our lives and as we are tempted to question God's faithfulness, whatever it is in our lives. Exodus 1 here is calling us to remember that God has been faithful in the past and he's going to continue to be faithful to, to fulfill his plans and his promises for us. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Lift up your hearts and see God's faithfulness.
And following the example of Jocelyn Sung, let us be a community that is continually pointing each other and reminding one another of God's faithfulness to us. Well, as we close this morning, before we close, I just want to spend a few minutes all right, spend a few moments encouraging you just to spend, uh, spend some time reflecting on where the, Spirit, where the Spirit is inviting you into change this morning. What's the, the area of your life where God is seeking to, to minister to your heart this morning? Perhaps you are here and sensing a need to grow in your fear of God. Perhaps there's an, there's an area of your life or a particular situation or person or topic where you just are know you're tempted to give in and not fear God, but fear man or fear everything. You can relate with that. Ask, ask God to give you the faith and the grace to fear him. Maybe you're finding your faith in the faithfulness of God, like mine this last week has been weak or non-existent. Ask the Spirit of God to, to reveal his faithfulness to you. Spend a few moments doing that. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we thank you that you are a faithful God. You are a God who gives us these stories that we need. Lord, you know when we need them, and you are faithful to care for us and minister to us. Lord, we thank you for this example of Shifra and Pua, these, these women who feared you and who experienced your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, would, would it give us the, the faith to be, the believe and the grace to live in the good of this passage. Lord, help us to fear you that we might experience your faithfulness all the more. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.